I love the story that Mary Farwell tells of her son, Matthew, when he was five years old. They had bought him a speaking spell for his birthday. You remember those? You type into the word and it says it for you. It's one of those tools for teaching, reading to a child. And so Matthew, five-year-old, typed in G-O-D. He waited and the machine said, word not found. Can't be right, he thought. He typed it in again, G-O-D. Word not found. And Matthew just glared at the computer and he said, Jesus is not going to be happy about this. <laughs> I mean, I don't think any of us is happy when our faith is challenged, especially by a machine. But you know it comes in other ways as well. We don't like it when our faith is challenging and it happens all the time, but it could be a circumstance, it could be people. But when we believe something, when we've given our hearts to it, and people are saying, oh, that's not real. That's a waste of time. You're not very bright for believing that. It's challenging. Like when a devastating hurricane like Ian creates catastrophic, long-lasting, far-reaching pain and loss and doubt. Faith is really tested. Which is why Scripture talks about faith. Hebrews 11. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval, and by faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. Do you know how many people are hanging on to that kind of faith things they no longer can see, are not sure will ever be there, wondering, is it possible? The only way you get through that is by faith. So what would you do? If I were to tell you that I think the Christian gospel is actually unbelievable, would you get up and walk out? You might be thinking about that if I said that. Would you be shocked, offended? But maybe before you do all those things, you'll let me finish. Hear me out. Because I do believe that the gospel is unbelievable. But I also believe it's true. Okay? That is, I think the gospel is without a doubt beyond our experience. It is extraordinary. It is greater than this world. And in all the ways, we could say fantastical. But I do believe it. Profoundly and fundamentally, I believe. That's what motivates me as one of your pastors. You see, when this storm came, I didn't just see what was going on, on TV. I saw the potential that we have given our faith to something unbelievable. It's not there. You don't know how you're going to do it. But I lean into it because I believe it's true. Profoundly, fundamentally. Maybe to put it another way, I believe the Bible, Scripture, not because it tells me of things that I've seen or know for myself, but maybe more precisely because it describes a reality that stretches beyond the confines of my finite, my mortal existence. It has, I believe, the capacity to redeem us in this life and in the world we share. There was a Christmas poem written by W.H. Auden. It's a long one, but at the beginning he says, Nothing can save us that is possible. We who must die demand a miracle. He's one of those ones who's pointing to something greater than just what's right in front of us. 
Auden understood that the fantastic dimensions of faith are there because when you're on the brink of death from illness or failure or disappointment or heartbreak or calamity or oppression or depression, pick one. When you're on the brink of death, you are profoundly aware that you are insufficient. When that storm came ashore, we were not sufficient. There was nothing in human existence that could hold it back. And you begin to realize that what Scripture tells us is true, that this world, this reality is temporary. So we stand in desperate need of something miraculous, the saving love of Christ. Because that which is merely possible cannot save. Which I think is part of what the motivation is behind the writer of Hebrews. He's pointing to us in this text an impossible reality that transcends the everyday reality that we are so accustomed to. We want things to be just like they were. Turn my power on. Make it go away. So how do you survive through that? And there is a deeper truth above everything else that we need to remember and we need to hold fast to. Now, there are some in the world who would say, well, that's escapist living. You're, you're not dealing with reality. And maybe that is the great risk of the Christian life. The truth that the gospel proclaims is not some mere fact that we can prove. It's not a formula that you can reproduce over and over again. It's not a logical assertion that we can argue until we are convinced. It's a claim, I would say a confession, that there is a reality and a truth that lives just beyond, just behind our everyday experience. So think about it. Week in and week out, In churches all across this world, preachers declare that there is a God who has created and still sustains this vast cosmos. But that God not only knows that you exist, but we proclaim that God actually cares about you individually. Deeply, passionately about you. About your hopes, your dreams, your successes, your failures. Cares enough to come into this world to die that you might have life. That's pretty fantastical, isn't it? But that's precisely what the author of the letter to Hebrews is talking about when he says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But let's be honest. You read the newspaper or watch the news, there doesn't seem to be much evidence of a loving, self-sacrificing God. Perhaps what the world is trying to tell us is that the good news of the gospel is just a little too good to be true. Because you're going to go home, you're going to turn it on, you're going to see it, you're going to read about it, and it's not that the world is affirming what God has sent for us in Jesus Christ. In fact, if anything, it's trying to take it away. Is it too good to be true? Or... Is it so good, it must be true? Now, that opinion has been shared with many through the years. You know Tolkien. Enjoying watching the Rings of Power. They've been coming out, weekly installments. Lord of the Rings, all those things that he wrote that I've loved so much. I never knew he'd written this essay until I found it again recently. 
It was near the end of his life. He argued that the gospel story is the perfect fantasy because it tells what is deeply true and ultimately joyful, the story of humanity fallen and redeemed in all of its horror, poignancy, and glory. Tolkien is really onto something here. For this is a story that God loves you so passionately that God will stop at nothing until this world and all of us who live here are gathered in that love. We've been making this promise. We're going to be there for you folks who've lost everything. We're going to do our part, but we want you to count on us. And even more importantly is a greater truth of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. But here's the challenge. This kind of faith requires equal measures of imagination and courage. These are things we haven't seen. Things that haven't happened yet. It requires an imagination to see a reality beyond the evening news and our everyday experience and the courage to live life as if this were true. You can't live any other way if you're going to enter this stream of the good news. Faith then, we would say biblical faith, is not a certain knowledge It's more like an invitation to experience the presence of God in a way that the world would predict can't be true. Faith is an experience described throughout the pages of Scripture at which in almost any single point is simultaneously too good to be true and so good it must be true. Think about it. This story from Genesis to Revelation is full of one unbelievable promise after another. In the center of it stands this fantastic, unbelievable, unthinkable confession that in Jesus Christ, God became one of us. And in dying the death of an outcast, we are offered life, abundant life, eternal life in this world and the next. So faith, according to Hebrews, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And when we dare believe in the improbable, things hoped for, things not seen, there are outcomes that are the promises of God. First, through faith we are given assurance. God doesn't leave us hanging by a thread, but rather God gives us a peace that assures. It doesn't take away everything, doesn't fix everything, but it gives us an inner peace. I love the way Corey Dimboom described this. She once told that as a child she encountered the cold, lifeless body of an infant. It just horrified her. She'd never seen anything like it. And she became fearful thinking about her family was going to die one day, her mom and her dad, her sister. So one night her father came to tuck her in bed and she just burst out crying. She sobbed, I need you, Dad. You can't die. You can't. So her father sat on the edge of her bed. He spoke tenderly to Corey and he said, Corey, when you and I go to Amsterdam, when do I give you the ticket? They would go by train. She sniffed a few times and she said, just before I get on the train. Exactly, he said. Then he gave the assurance to his daughter that would last a lifetime. Corey said, there is a wise God who knows when we will need 
are things, the things of life also. So don't run ahead of God. When the time comes that some of us have to die, you will look into your heart and you will find the strength you need just in time. Boy, did she need that. Because over the years, that reality would come. Corey and her family were sent to concentration camps by the Nazis. They suffered greatly during the war. They were experienced. She experienced the death of her parents, her sister, numerous friends. She endured hardships that are just hard to imagine. No child could imagine anything like that. But what she could hang on to were the words of her father. When you look into your heart, you will find the strength you need just in time. That, friends, is the assurance that comes through faith. I believe it will be there when I need it. And through faith, we are given conviction. Through faith, there's something that changes in us. Conviction is powerful. It has the power to change the hardest heart. And when we dare to have faith, we cannot stay as we are. Tony Campolo tells this wonderful story of a time when he was a counselor at a junior high Christian camp. Now, just because it's a Christian camp doesn't mean everybody's nice. But he talked about one of the campers there was a little boy with a disease called spastic paralysis. And this kid was the object of continuing heartless ridicule. He was bullied all the time, made fun of. When he would ask a question, the boys would deliberately answer for him in this halting, mimicking way. They used every opportunity to hurt him. And one night, to really set him up so they could have a good laugh at his expense, the cabin chose him to lead the devotions the next day before the entire camp. I mean, just speaking for him was very difficult. They figured it would be fun, of course, at his expense. Campolo says, unashamedly, though, the time came and this boy stood up, and in his strange, slurred manner, each word coming with enormous effort, he said simply, Jesus loves me, and I love Jesus. And he sat down. Conviction hit. Those boys made fun of him, it hit them hard. Many of them began to cry. And then revival gripped the camp. And years afterward, Campolo tells that he still meets some of those boys who grew up to be men in the ministry who became changed, transformed, Christian because of that testimony. Jesus loves me and I love Jesus. It begins with faith. Faith also gives us understanding. Not just assurance, not just conviction, but at some point it gives us understanding. Understanding is what we're heading towards. Not just knowing. I mean, I know verses in the Bible. I know points of theology about our faith. But do I understand it? Isn't that the point? It's not just what I know. But does it bring something out of my heart and my life? Douglas MacArthur used to tell the story when he was a cadet at West Point of taking a course in physics. And they were going through what we know as the theory of relativity, Einstein's theory. It's very complex. And so he tried reading the book, but it was impossible to understand, he said. So 
he had this photographic memory. He memorized what was in the book. And the professor called on him the next day and he said, could you tell us what the theory of relativity is? And so he just, out of his mind's eye, recited word for word what was in the book. The professor looked at him and he said, okay, but do you understand it? MacArthur said, not really. And the professor blinked and said, actually, neither do I. It's a theory. Okay. But do we understand it? You see, what faith is doing is not leaving us simply with understanding. When I was a kid, we sang songs that would teach me things. Jesus loves me, this I know. Okay. Do I understand what that means? When Hurricane Ian hits, or when I'm doing the funeral of a child, or when one of you has your heart broken and I'm sitting there crying with you, do I understand what that means? That's what faith is leading us to. You can't overlook the benefits of this relationship. Because if we do, if we miss the personal relationship that God wants to have with us, then we miss the peace, the joy, the love that faith produces. I don't know, maybe faith is kind of like throwing caution to the wind and saying, God, in spite of a world that tells me you don't exist, I choose to believe that you do. Now, help me to understand. And that's what God does. Piece at a time, a little bit at a time, and we trust that one day we'll have what we need. So what is faith? It is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is when we begin to understand. Or to quote St. Augustine, faith is to believe what we do not see, and the reward of this faith is to see what we believe. Let's pray. Our faith sometimes, Lord, is very fragile. Give us strength. Hold us together. Our faith sometimes is clouded by doubt. Hold us, Lord. Pull us together. Our faith seeks understanding to see something. But help us to live until we have that reality and that assurance in such a way that we would never overlook this incredible gift of faith. You have faith in us. And through that faith, you have given us all things. Love, hope, joy, forgiveness. It may sound fantastical at times. The things that are said that Christ loved us while we were still sinners. And we wonder, how could you love us at that point? But we hang on to that in faith, that love that will not let us go. So today, Lord, as we come to your table, let us take this bread and this juice by faith as we move closer to you and the love that you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I had a friend in college who really was not a person of faith at all. He just didn't have any time for it, didn't have any need for it.
he would tell me all the time, he says, I don't know why you waste your time, that God stuff. He said, it's not real. doesn't make sense. And I said, but does it have to make sense for it to be real? Because everything that I've learned about God is wonderful and life-giving. One evening, he tried to take his life. It just happened to show up right before he completed the act of taking his life. And I invited him to go with me to hear this speaker that we had heard was in town, Corey Ten Boom. We sat in the balcony, literally the last ones get into church. And he heard her story. And she said, you know, I can't convince you that this is real. It's a matter of faith. But here's what this faith has done for me and for the world. And it clicked. And he came out and he said, I believe, not because it makes sense, but because it is so wonderful. And he changed his life. His fundamental problem was he never loved himself. But when he saw himself through God's eyes, it changed everything. I pray that you will find that faith and share that faith, giving people hope to see how much God loves them. Go in peace and go in love. Amen.